Well, good morning, church. So that you know, in case you're wondering, because uh, I heard some groans out here when the Nike symbol went up there. And uh, this was done a couple weeks ago. I just want you to know that, that uh, we, we did not intend in any way for that to be connected with current events. One thing that is a current event coming up, and we are so excited about it, is our concert coming up on September 28th. We have found a tremendous ministry partner with WLJN and Fuel FM. It has been so exciting to connect with them. And we are blessed not only with their presence in the community and being able to hear them, we are also blessed with their presence here in our ministry uh, with Brian Harsey and even their new addition, Jules, to their lineup. And, um, and they're part of our church. And Brian is going to be working uh, along with Kim in the back uh, as far as handling ticket sales today after the service. But Brian, come on up for just a second, would you? We would love um, for you to connect with our church people. Give Brian a hand. It's, it's been a little while since we've been on the platform together. I was just thinking that the last time we were up here, we were uh, throwing some words up on the yeah, screen, like Shawby Town and all those kind of words. I now about. know the names of those towns. <laughs> oh, you know yes. them. Yeah. Well, we are excited to be able to partner with East Bay Calvary at Good News Media, WLJN, Fuel FM, and The Source. And uh, if you haven't met Jules, Jules is here. And uh, Jules, stand up for just a moment. Those in the lower level will be able to see her. Uh, she is joining our team now at Fuel FM as well. And she's going to be at the table along with Kim and I. And uh, we've got tickets available for you for the concert coming up. The Eye of the Storm, Ryan Stevenson, Brian, uh, David Dunn, and Austin French. And uh, DC and Jane Cavender were just down at the Momentum uh, Conference down in Florida, and they found out there is a fourth wheel on this now, and uh, it's called Cochran and Company, C-O-C-H-R-E-N. If you go A-N, you're going to find some construction company. So it's <laughs> Cochran and Company, a new up-and-coming artist, and uh, he's got a new release out called The Church. And it's a lot of times when they have groups like this go out, if they can find an up-and-coming artist and take them along with, uh, then they're able to get them some good exposure, and uh, you'll be able to enjoy a fourth act in this whole concert that night. So we want you to come out and enjoy the evening with us. We're promoting it on the radio. Glad to be partnering with East Bay Calvary, and we'll have the tickets outside. Awesome. Thanks, we Brian. Children's tickets, the general admission tickets, and the VIP concert tickets. So all three will be available out there. Excellent. Very good. Thank, Thank you. you, Brian. Appreciate it. Hey, grab uh, your worship folder. We're one of the only churches. Normally people, uh, churches stuff their bulletins with things, and we're the ones that um, stuff our bulletin in our things here. So... Um, grab that bulletin when you finally get down to it and flip over to the back is a study guide that we are going to work through uh, together this morning. We are people of the book. Truly. And um, just to prove it, I went ahead and I pulled some books together here this morning oh, from our home. And they are heavy, aren't they? So I've got a number of books here that I uh, went through recently. Let's see what we got here. 
Um, we have a cookbook. Some of you recognize immediately the red plaid design on that. Um, we also have um, some educational books. Here's um, a historical book. We have, in addition to that, in fact, if you're a student right now, you are probably up to your eyes in books, especially college students. Uh, we have even uh, sewing books. It's a big deal in our home. We got sewing books with different patterns and all on it. We have maps, and although I know that we oftentimes don't use map books since they're on our phone, but uh, you know, back in the day, many of us remember. You remember having to do this kind of a thing. And then on top of that, uh, we have. Um, what is this thing? Oh, this is a diet book. Uh, yeah. This will be on sale on the back for 10 bucks. Never used. Never used, folks. Uh, we even have a building, um, electrical and building book, and then even, a, um, even an engine repair book. You know, I think we've come in our lives to the realization that base everything, doesn't it? It's like everything has a corresponding book or manual of how it should work and work properly. And, you know, um, whether it be in cooking or whatever may be the case, there, there are special ways of doing things. And typically the people either that came up with the, with the recipe or the people that uh, invented the specific machinery or whatever, they know exactly how these things should work. And so just imagine, you know, if we said, you know what, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, baking powder, really? You know, who is this Betty Crocker? Anyways, you know, didn't, didn't she make the American flag? Or, you know, what, what is up with her? You know, this is a new day. It's a new millennium. We should be able to cook the way that we feel it should be done. I think we know what's going to happen. Or, or, you know, what if we say with a map, you know, like, this map is so confusing to look at. Just forget the map. I'm, I'm going to let my heart lead me. And, and we just go with that. It's never steered me wrong so far. Or what if we say, you know, with electricity, you know, or whatever. You know, I, I know what I'm doing. In fact, let me just tell you, one time I had a situation. I was, I got this special dimmer kind of switch that ran a blower up in the roof of our home. This is a home we built about 20 years ago almost now. And, uh, and I've, I've wired dimmers before, you know, no big deal. And I remember I bought, the, it was a special switch, it was almost $40. And, uh, and I came home with it and I, and I pulled it out of the box and wrapped around the top of it were the instructions. I pull those off and threw them on the, on the ground. And then I, I look on the back and I flip it over and I'm looking at the wires and there's this, um, there's this sticker that went across the wire and it said, read instructions before installing. And I thought, you know what that's there for? That's there for idiots that don't know what they're doing. That's what that's there for. And so I went ahead and, you know, I wired it up and I screwed it into the wall and put the faceplate on, and I went downstairs, and I tripped the breaker, then I went upstairs, and I turned the switch on, and I was treated 
to a $40 light and smoke show right in front of me. And then I realized I was one of the idiots that that sticker was talking about, you know. It seems in, in life we have these books and we can go back to them when things are getting screwed up a little bit and we can see, ah, you know, that's why the cake didn't rise. You know, or we can say, oh, that's why the switch didn't work right, or that's why the engine isn't doing what it should do, or that's why my sewing project flopped, is because everything has instructions, everything has a manual, everything has some specific way it should work. And when it doesn't work right, we can go back and we can reference it and we can see, okay, now I figured it out. Now I understand what went wrong in the first place. And, and let's just take that and what we're going to do today, we're going we're to place that same template on life. And, and when we turn the analogy into true life, we can look at it and we say, you know what, when, when our marriages flop, when our finances tank, when our attitudes explode, when we personally fail, we normally can go back and look in the instruction manual of life, which is God's word, and we can see where we did things our own way and where things went wrong. And so today I want to talk through a passage that discusses this. In fact, grab your copy of the scriptures or your electronic device, whatever it may be, and we're going to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and, and if you have a device and you have to type this into your search bar, um, you just type in the number 2 and then Chronicles, C-H-R-O-N-I-C-L-E-S, and we're going to look at chapter 34, so 2 Chronicles 34, and today we're going to invite all of us to meet a young king in the Bible whose name is Josiah. He is the last king in our special three-part series called What is Your Slogan? And this is the beginning of the account of his life beginning in 2 Chronicles 34. And in this, when we, when we grab it, get that, get your study guide on the back of your East Bay Weekly, and we're going to start walking through it together. I just want to give you some quick background as you're looking this up. So far, we have studied, and here are some blanks immediately that we're going to be working through this morning. So far, we have studied, in our background, two kings. The first one was Hezekiah, and his slogan initially was, don't manage idolatry destroy it. When Hezekiah stepped on the scene, the nation of Judah was steeped in idolatry. They had wandered so far from God. And Hezekiah, you know, he wasn't like, hey, here's my 10-year plan to get rid of idolatry. No, when he stepped on the scene, it was three weeks. And folks, he went right on through everything. He took out all the idols. He cleaned up the worship settings. He even went out into the communities and every idol that was out there in the high places, boom, it was all gone. He said, gang, we've got to get back to worshiping the Lord. He didn't manage idolatry. He destroyed it. Something happened in the last 15 years of his life. And his slogan went from being all about truly worshiping God to being all about himself. And his slogan changed to, it's all about me. We talked about this two weeks ago. 
and he came to the point where he was proud of his accomplishments and he showed off everything that he had and he wanted people to be impressed with him. And then when the prophet Isaiah said, you know what, because you did that and because you're proud, he mentioned to Hezekiah, your offspring, and forgive me, this is just the reality of it, he said, your offspring is going to be castrated. They are going to serve the king of Babylon. And here's how self-centered Hezekiah was. He said, but at least it's going to be okay for me. It was all about him. And no wonder that the king born, his successor born during that last 15 years of his life, Manasseh, ended up being the worst king ever in the history of Judah. Everything went crazy, off the hook, away from God. Even Manasseh sacrificed his own son to the god Molech. And everything went anti-God. And God, in the end of Manasseh's life, grabbed a hold of him. The Assyrians came in. They beat up on Judah. Here's, catch this one. They even stuck a hook and a ring through the nose of King Manasseh and let him off, it said, like a bull. And that was a time of reckoning for Manasseh. And he turned to God and repented. God restored him. He returned Judah back to worshiping the Lord. It was short-lived, though, because his son Ammon came in and reversed everything back from Manasseh. And his reign, though, lasted two years, and he was assassinated. And now we come to this young king named Josiah. Are you there in 2 Chronicles 34? Let's look at it together. I just want to bring us up to speed. I'm going to move through this a little bit quicker. And so we can get to the latter part of our discussion and work through it together. 2 Chronicles 34, look at verses 1 and 2. Check out how old Josiah was when he started his reign as king. Josiah was how many years old? Mm. Does that scare you people? I have an eight-year-old in my home. And truthfully, he does think he reigns sometimes. He was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. Now, here's the cool thing. This is just an overview. But it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes our kids have the best heart. He followed the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the right or the left. Now, now here's the chronology. So now eight years have passed. Look at verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, and if you're doing the math right, he's 16 years old. He's a teenager and it mentions in that eighth year, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. You need to realize Judah was in shambles. Still worship had not returned to Yahweh. And this young king in, at 16 years says, you know what? There's something to this God thing. We've got to figure it out. Continue on. Notice the 12th year of his reign so at this point, he is now 20 years old. And as he's figuring this Yahweh thing out, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. 
And it chronicles over the next number of verses the ways that he was cleaning house and saying, you know, we need to get back to worship of God. Now check out verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, and so now we've moved into where he's 26 years old, he is a man, and he began to, it mentions, to purify the land and the temple. And he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Now, I'm going to tell you something amazing happened. They went to the temple. For me, I need to flip the page, and we're going to look on this in just a moment. I need you to understand this. That here under Ammon and Manasseh, all worship was destroyed. To the point where they didn't even know where the sacred scrolls of God's word were. He is in his 18th year of reigning. He's 26. The nation of of Judah had not seen these scrolls of God's word. Imagine if there was no Bible. And then they had the biggest find they could ever have. Here's a blank for you to fill in. The big find was they found God's word. I want you to read, uh, look at these verses with me. Pop them up on the screen if you would. We need to see these. This is the account of what occurred when they found God's word. So while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And and he gave it to Shaphan. And then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them, he said. They've paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Icom, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger, and catch this, great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Josiah's conclusion, he said, you know what? Where did it all fall apart? Where did our nation, when did the wheels come off? When did we just go way off track? When did this whole thing get messed up? And when they found these scrolls after 18 years and they brought them to him and they began to read The word of God, he said, I see it. 
I see it. There it is. It all came unglued the very moment that we got away from God's word. That's when it all came apart. And there's two words that were so significant. We're going to look at those in a moment. But we see from all of this, Josiah's slogan was cast in stone from this moment forward. And here's his slogan. It's this, live by the book. Live by the book. And just like our instruction books, where we can look at them like the cookbook and say, ah, now I see what I didn't do right. Or the map, yes, that's where we made the wrong turn. Or the diet book. Also, before bed, you're not supposed to have a quart of ice cream. Or the electrical book, oh, that's why the switch isn't working. And Josiah looks, and the word of God is read to him, and he says, now I see where we all screwed up. It's when we got away from the book. Here's the two words that describe Judah's failure in more detail. These two words that describe Judah's failure in more detail were, were this. He mentions in the verse, he says, that those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. And the wording here for kept it means to retain or reserve or preserve. And it's not this idea, you know, like putting it on mothballs and, you know, or canning it. That way nothing happens to it. It's that God's word retains its place as the final authority for what we believe and do. And, and here is what happened for, for Judah. God's word was replaced as the final authority, and it was replaced with popular thought, it was replaced with societal idols, with personal feelings, with sinful impulses. And Josiah recognized, you know what, they didn't keep it in the place it is designed to be, and the only place God's word is designed to be is central in our lives. It tells us what to do. We don't tell it what to do. It has the authority. So they have not kept the word of the Lord. And here's the second one. He mentions there at the end of that verse, he says, they have not, and this is the key word, they have not acted. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And the wording here obviously is vivid. It's talking about doing. It's talking about exerting energy Having obedience toward is talking about action. And Josiah was insightful enough to express it's not enough to know God's word. It's not enough to have understood what was being said. Our lives will still fail if we know God's word, but don't do what it says. We have to act. Let's focus for a moment on God's desire for us to do his word. 
to act on it. When I was a kid, I learned this song. It's about an account in scripture that Jesus tells a story about this um, wise man who built his house on a rock. And then it talks about this foolish man who built his house on sand. And here's how the song kind of goes. I lost half my voice singing down here with these guys. That was just great earlier. So uh, don't judge my singing here this morning. Something like, the wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise man built his house upon a rock. The wise, and there's these hand motions too, by the way. You know, something like, the wise man built his house upon... And then it goes, and the rain came tumbling down. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And you know, as I was singing this, I'm realizing, you know how sometimes the older generation says, you know, you young people sing those songs that just repeat the same thing over and over and over and over. And you know why we like songs like that? Because you taught us songs like that when we were kids. <laughs> That's what it, okay, never mind. <laughs> the rain came down and the floods came up. And it says, and the house on the rock stood firm. And so it stood there. And then it goes on about the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. And the floods came up. And it says, and the house on the sand went splat, exactly. It's in Matthew 7. Do you know the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Besides one was on the rock and one was on the sand. You know the difference? It's in Matthew 7. Let me read it for you really quick. Because Jesus mentions what building on the rock is and what building on the sand is. And the difference between the wise and the foolish is this. Here's the words of Jesus. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man that built his house upon the, okay. And the rain came down, the streams came up, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Here's the foolish man. But everyone who, now catch this, everyone who hears these words of mine, but does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So the difference between the wise and the foolish is the wise man hears God's word and does it. The foolish man hears God's word and doesn't do it. And here's the, here's the dangerous part. The first ingredient to the wise man and the foolish man are the same. They both hear God's word. How careful we must be when we look at and learn God's word 
we could be on the fast track to being the foolish man. So let me just put it this way. The foolish man goes to church. Does that scare you? The foolish man goes to church. He may have perfect attendance. The foolish man knows the Bible. The foolish man may beat you in Bible trivia. And what makes him foolish is not that he doesn't know God's word, it's that he does. But he doesn't do it. And the house on sand can stand for a while, no problem. It's just when it gets bad. And the rain comes down and the floods came up and the wind blows and then that's when it, it goes down. And I'm going to tell you a question people ask me. They say, how come immorality and pornography and poor language and addictions are in church just like they're in society? People ask me that. And people come along and they'll say, you know what, so tell me, how come the divorce rate's the same in the church as it is outside the church? You tell me that. Because churches can be, we can be breeding grounds for foolish. Because we can hear it. And we can be inoculated saying, you know, I know that, yeah. Hey, that was a great message too, by the way. And we can go home and we can do nothing about it. We can be breeding grounds for foolish people. I remember a guy from years ago that I knew in New York. He was brilliant. Biblically, he knew it all. He memorized whole sections of scripture. He could argue and win with anybody theologically. And guess what? His first four wives were not impressed at all. I know a pastor who's known the Bible and has gotten off track when he did his own thing. His name is Brian, and you're looking at him right now. And you know people who know biblical truth and get themselves into trouble when they don't do it. And if you, my friend, can be honest this morning, just like your pastor is, sometimes that person is you. True? We're all there. And Josiah immediately recognized it was the people before them. They knew God's word. They just didn't keep it in its proper place and they didn't continue to act on it. And that's when the wheels came off. And Josiah stepped in and said, you know what, gang? This is the last day under my rule that we're ever going to be like that. And he said, it's all changing. And as a whole nation, they went back to a commitment not only to understand but to live God's word together. And things turned around for them. And, and here, um, I wanted to give you some steps, some practical steps to live by the book. To live by the book. 
And some of these are very simple, other of these are a little bit harder to do, but steps to live by the book. Here's number one. Number one is get a Bible. And I know that that may seem simplistic. Get one you understand. You can download Bibles on your electronic device, and, and sometimes those are neat things to do. I am so stinking old-fashioned, I just have to have one in my hand. It's the way I visualize it. I personally preach out of the NIV, the New International Version. There's other good translations like the ESV or the Living Bible. There's a number of those, you know, you can even Google and put some of those in and see which one makes the most sense to you in, in current English. Get a Bible. Here's number two. Get a Bible study. Get a Bible study. I'm going to tell you, you can get a Bible study through email. I get emails to my inbox every day, and here's who I get them from. Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll emails me. I need to email him back. Tell him, thanks, Chuck. Um, I'm on his mailing list is what it is. And you can go on, just Google Chuck Swindoll, S-W-I-N-D-O-L-L, and get on his mailing. He will send you practical, positive studies every day. Um, another one I get is back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. I also thirdly get our daily bread delivered to my inbox every day. And in fact, we even have some out in the foyer if you wanted to get them in your hand. Here's another thing you can do. You can get Bible apps. And in fact, that's the name of one, the Bible app. And get it on your phone or your electronic device. And you can get on a, a Bible reading schedule. There are hundreds of different Bible studies on this app. And you can have them brought right to your phone every day, some issue-oriented or book of the Bible or topical or whatever they may be. There's so many things you can do. But first, you need to get a Bible, then you need to get a Bible study. Then here's number three. After you get a Bible and you get a Bible study, then you get a Bible buddy. Here, to me, is one of the greatest keys to living by the book. Get a Bible buddy. Because remember, you can get a Bible and you can get a Bible study and at that stage you can still be the foolish man. You can. Because you can learn it and know it. Say, wow, I know even more now that I'm not going to do. And that's why you need a Bible buddy. And why a buddy? Because we often don't do well on our own. We cut ourselves too much slack. We give each other a mulligan. You know, the best way to lose weight or exercise or to stop smoking is with a buddy. We operate better with relationships and loving accountability. And just to prove it, as a few weeks ago, we were out to dinner with some friends, and they were both on diets. And so here's my wife and I sitting across from these two, and they're both on diets. And so it's neat, when it came time to order, they looked at the menu, and they're like, okay, uh-uh, no potatoes? Okay, no potatoes. Oh, okay, no potatoes. No bread? Okay, no bread. And 
you know, okay, you can have this and that, and they're talking together. And so the waitress comes over, and they said, we would like this, and we would like this. And then she said, and do you want, do you want um, some bread? Well, I want you to know, I'm also on a diet. It's not funny. It's not. I, I've been dieting for eight weeks now. And if, I don't know if you've noticed, but in eight weeks, I've lost 34 ounces. <laughs> so I mean, like, wow, where does he hide it? Anyways, <laughs> so anyways, um, so here, here they are. I was without a, a diet buddy, and they were their diet buddies, and they said, we'd like this, this, and this. And, uh, and the lady said, and would you like your bread? And they said, nope, no bread. And I said, can I have their bread? <laughs> That's why it's important to have a buddy. And guess what? We can read God's word. We can know it up here. You have a better chance of taking the next step of doing it if we have a buddy. I want to read for you a quote from Tony Stolfus in his book, Leadership Coaching. And this is so, it's so good. Listen to this. It says, I believe the biggest reason Christians in general experience so little transformation. Okay, that's doing it. I believe the biggest reason Christians in general experience so little transformation in their lives is that they ignore the Bible's relational mandate for how to affect change. Here's the big one. We were never meant to live the Christian life alone. Christianity is an interdependent, community-oriented faith, and yet when we set out to improve our prayer life or deal with our anger problem or increase our income or become a better father, most of the time we work on it completely alone and fail. Now, our church, we did a study two years ago right here at East Bay, and a large majority of us recognize that our church needs to do more to harness the power of relationship. The sense of family or community where we do life together and tangibly encourage each other to keep taking faith steps day after day after day. And, and so one of our greatest emphases developing right now, and this is why I had you hang on to this, and I knew you, you're like, I knew he was going to sucker us into something. Exactly. One of the biggest relational moves we're trying to do right now, I know for you it may seem canned or whatever, but here's the reality. Somehow we need to get into each other's lives. Like it or not, we've got to get into each other's lives. And one thing we're trying to do right now is build small group ministry. Where, where we're all connected with someone. You know, you come in a group like this and praise God for our attendance and how he's been growing us. And the reality is you come in a group like this, you can hear a message, you can go home and you can do nothing. We have a better chance if we get together in groups and talk about it. It's not another Bible study. We're not there to learn something new. We're there to take what we've already learned and say, let's do it together. Let's do it together. And if you're not in a small group, Right on that tear-off portion, there is in a gray box, yes, I'm interested in joining a small group. I would love for you to check that box. 
You might be saying, but I'm a first-time visitor. I don't care. Just check the box. We want you in a small group. We want you connected with other people that are on the same path and say, let's do this thing together. And I think you're going to find out other people struggle with the same thing you do. And God has put people here for you and for me to connect with to say, let's do this thing together. Let's not be the foolish man, but let's help each other be the wise man that built on the rock where we do it. Check that box, tear it off, and on your way out today, we're going to have ushers at the door that are going to be collecting our special offering for benevolence. It's called Helping Hand Fund. And you just give all of those, just load them up with these. And even if you didn't check the box, make sure we have your information so we can connect with you, especially if there's a prayer request on there. <clears throat> Some other things you can do with your small group, maybe you and one other person in there get the Bible app. Both of you download it. Both of you can do the same study. Both of you can even chat on the Bible app with each other of what you're learning and what you need to do together. Here's number four. Number four, talk about it. Don't just know it. Talk about it. Talk about what others, you know what, put people on the spot. Hey, what are you learning from the Bible? How are you growing right now? What are your next steps? Talk about it. Number five, be realistic. Don't go nuts. Don't bite off more than you can chew. If you can't remember what you learned, and are to do, maybe you're going over too much material. Number six, remember the goal is, and this is the key, the goal is transformation, not mere education. The goal is transformation, not education. If someone reads 20 chapters and is unchanged, you read one verse and are changed, you win. You're the wise man. They're the foolish man because they're not doing it. Josiah saw this. He saw it. He's like, I know where we went off track. I know where we got way out of bounds on this. And it was when we got away from keeping the word as the center focus and doing it. And he said, you know what? Here's the slogan. Live by the book. Don't just know the book. Don't have all of your theology mapped out. But go beyond it and live by the book. His slogan is that. What's ours? <clears throat>